grab a Bible, and we will jump into our time in God's Word this morning. I'm going to have you do something I, um, I suppose I do it more often than I'd like to think, but I'm going to have you go to Isaiah 25, 26, 27, and then put a bulletin in there, and then right away we're going to go somewhere else. All right? Sometimes I wait a while before I ask you to shift gears, but we've, I figure we might as well take care of it all at once. So if you mark Isaiah 25, 26, 27, so you can get back there quickly, and then uh, the main text I'll have you go to, go to the book of Revelation, but it'll be a moment till we get there. All right? Revelation 19 is where we'll be in just a moment here. But um, one, of the, one of the children's books on my shelf is this one. It's called King Leonard's Celebration. And at some point, I think we've read that up here, maybe back when we were live streaming. It's a wonderful story. Uh, it's, a, it's a retelling in kids' language of the, the parable of the, of the great feast that Jesus told as recorded in Luke chapter 14, the great banquet. And in this telling of, a, of that parable for kids, you have King Leonard, interestingly, a, a benevolent lion who rules and reigns over his kingdom, and he's going to throw a party, and the invitations go out, and as it turns out, many of his subjects don't want to come, imagine. And so the the search is on to find those who will come to his party, come to his great banquet. Now, I mentioned this uh, because it has obvious uh, connections with the words of Jesus and so on, but it has obvious connections with some of the texts that we will read today as well. All right, And I want this idea planted in your mind, a great feast, a great party. For kids, um, this guy is throwing a party of fine foods, games, balloons, cakes, music, and ice cream. I mean, what, what could go wrong with that? Wouldn't you come? Wouldn't you come to a banquet? Okay, I'd like you to just let that, that quick response um, resonate with your heart, and we'll, we'll think about that uh, together a little bit later. But as you look at your sermon notes and then um, get an idea of where we're going today, um, uh, just a quick introduction, then we'll pray and jump into the text here. But last week, we began a study of four chapters, Isaiah chapters 24 to to 27, often called Isaiah's book of prophecy without some of the apocalyptic characteristics, okay? But we saw last week in that one chapter, devastating judgment. That was Isaiah 24. Judgment of a, of a worldwide nature, a, a crushing of, of rebellion. It was a sobering look at a day that is to us, of course, yet future, when God will deal fully and finally with rebellion on this earth. And we referenced, of course, Second Peter 3 in helping us get there, and we're going to follow a similar pattern today of beginning with some New Testament texts and working our way back to the Old Testament. And I'll tell you what I'm, exactly what I'm after so you don't have to guess, okay? I want us to look at the New Testament telling of some events that Isaiah presents in seed form so that when you read Isaiah, you'll quickly say, that's what he's talking about. There it is again, 800 years later. So we're going to read the 800 years later part first and then go back and look at it in Isaiah. All right, that's the order today. Hope it won't be confusing. I think it'll make sense to you. But my goal is that your hearts would be encouraged because we're going to see a day that God makes all things new. And we're gonna see songs sung, worship given to God as he does that. Because he does that, 
He takes those things that are broken and heals them fully and finally. And the things that hurt us and scare us and break our hearts, a day when he makes all things new. And I hope your heart will be encouraged. We live in days of fear. Fear. And we want instead today to look at the other side of that. So I want to pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in here, and we have a lot to, to take a look at today. But pray with me, please. Our Father, how good it is to open the Word of God together with the people of God and to find our hearts, as Wesley said, strangely warmed by the work of the Spirit of God within us and how we long for that today, that we would, we would resonate with the text and whether you want to talk to us about the things specifically we look at or if you have a whole different work to do in us today, oh God, use your Word by the Spirit of God to change us and shape us and draw us to yourself in a way that only you can do. And we ask that of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'd like you then to start not in Revelation. Keep your Bible right there at Revelation, but look at your sermon notes. Okay, that's really where I want to go. And I have it under the heading here that the New Testament shouts of a glorious future, a glorious future, Seen by Isaiah. I want you to hear the shout of a glorious future. And each of the texts we're looking at, I'm after something specific. I'm not going to deal with any of these New Testament texts completely, but I want you to see, oh, this is here, this is here, this is here, so that when we read Isaiah, it will be strangely familiar to you. So I, I give you here, first of all, in the Gospel of Luke 22, this is Jesus speaking. The setting is what we call the Last Supper. And this is a text, words of which are, are mirrored, in, very similar in, in the book of Matthew. But Luke records Jesus saying this, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Matthew's gospel, uh, as an aside, Jesus is quoted as saying, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He's looking ahead, okay, clearly. And then I go on. I assign to you, Jesus says, as, as my Father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Again, kingdom, you see, referenced several times. I am, I am well aware in the study of theology that there's a lot written and said about the kingdom. You've heard me reference a book that I find very helpful. It's written by Dr. Michael Vlock. It is a, it's a theology of the kingdom from Genesis to Revelation. If you want to look up, um, I forget the title of the book, but look up Michael Vlock, V-L-A-C-H, I think, and look up a book on the kingdom. You'll find it. So it's a pretty good book. But uh, in terms of substance, but really helpful on that. Today, then, I'm just, just barely touching on it, okay? I'm wanting you to see, though, that Jesus is looking ahead, even here when he was on earth, to another day, I would suggest, as we'll see in a minute, a day of, of, of a feast, as he will call it in Revelation, I think, uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb, you'll see. Now, John 5, 28, then, Jesus, again, speaking, in that context, he's talking about, <clears throat> sorry, been a long morning already. Uh, voice gets weary, my goodness. Uh, Jesus is talking about his relationship with the Father. 
what it's like. And so he says here, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, or in the graves will hear his voice, and I go on, I didn't have room for it all here, and they will come forth, he says. They will come forth, the righteous to a resurrection of life, and the wicked to a resurrection of judgment. Isn't that interesting? The day will come when those who are in the graves will hear his voice, the voice of the Son of Man. He's speaking of himself. Now, he's speaking here of resurrection. Is the resurrection... Just a New Testament doctrine. Well, we'll see that today. I'm going to say, no, it isn't. It's in the Old Testament as well. You should know that. Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul. He's describing in that chapter the effect on creation of the fall. Back in Genesis 3, when sin entered the human race, all of creation was subjected to the fall. The world we live in today is not the way God intended it to be. If you look around and say, this place looks kind of broken. Oh, sure, there's beauty around, but there's a bunch of stuff kind of wrong. You would be correct if that's what you saw. It's a brokenness. And in in Romans 8, Paul talks about that as as creation groaning and longing for the day of, of redemption. When that curse is broken and gone, the creation will be set free It says, from its bondage to corruption. Wow, it's looking ahead to a much different sort of day. When things are made new, okay? Then I move to 1 Corinthians 15. And in that great resurrection chapter, the Apostle Paul inserts in the middle this little statement. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Can you imagine? The death of death. We'll see in a moment. Different theologians have used that as a title of a sermon or a paper or a book. Jesus and the death of death. Think about it. How can death die? We'll see it. Wow, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Very interesting, death is. As in his presentation in the Bible, death, as you know, not a part of God's original creation. And then came the fall when sin entered the the world as our first parents chose to rebel against God. And Adam and Eve were, were in their fallenness, pushed out of the garden, kicked out of the garden. And you read in Genesis 3 of an angel with the flaming sword guarding that entrance to the Garden of Eden so that they could not go back in and eat, it says, from the tree of life and live forever. That wasn't God's intent. He didn't want them to eat of the tree of life and live forever in a fallen state. So they were sent out into a world where death would take them. They would not live forever as broken people. Wow, how interesting is that? Now we're at Revelation. You have your your Bibles open, I hope, to Revelation 19. I want to read really a a large portion of of these texts, more than I normally do at this point. but, But I want to let God's word speak for itself with just a few comments, I think, along the way. So Revelation 19 is looking ahead, what is still ahead to us. And so I read this starting at verse 6, God's word. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out. Do you hear this? Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. You can hear Handel's Messiah here, can't you? Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. 
For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Wow. A marriage supper? Is that literal or is it figurative? He said to me, these are the true words of God. And then you find, uh, John says, I fell down at my, his feet to worship him. Well, this is an angelic being, not God. So at this moment, the angel says, oh, no, don't, don't worship an angel. I'm just one of the workers here. Uh, save your worship for the one who sits on the throne. Verse 11, then, as we continue, it says, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Now, John, of course, in his gospel, would identify the Word of God. The Word is, of course, Jesus. The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. Do you see it? King of kings, Lord of lords. So the first paragraph, you have the lamb, the marriage supper of the lamb, and now you have a conqueror. It's, it's the part of Jesus that some people don't like. It's Jesus with the sword. It's a conqueror. It's the one who deals with all who've rebelled against him and, as we saw last week, who will not bow the knee. It doesn't matter what. You see? There's another day. So there's a lamb, and in the book of Revelation and throughout Scripture, there is a lion. Jesus called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Oh, yes, there is. Well, both of those, I think, are presented for our good. Wow. Now, I move to chapter 20 then, verses 11 through 15, what I think is one of the more sobering paragraphs in the entire Bible. What is described here is often called the great white throne judgment, and it is the judgment for those who have refused to to trust Christ as Savior. This is a judgment for the wicked dead. Okay? That makes sense? The wicked dead. People ask, okay, I'm a Christian. Am I going to be here? No, this is not where you will be. Christians are, the judgment of Christians is described in 2 Corinthians 5, often called the Bema or the Bema seat, where we are held accountable for our faithfulness, not judged for our sins. For the Christian... For the Christian, your sin was judged when Jesus died on the cross. Okay? So this, this great white throne judgment is, is staggering, and it's fearsome, and people want to run, and there's nowhere to go. So we read then, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books 
according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Now watch this. Death and Hades, Hades, the place of the dead. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged. Each one of them, according to what they had done, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. How can that be? Death, death dies. Can you imagine? Death and Hades thrown into the lake of fire. This, John says, is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, that's very specific, isn't it? If if a name is not found written in the book of life, and as Scripture will attest, that happens when you trust Christ as your Savior. And it says here, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, cast into the lake of fire. Wow! I continue reading, chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Chapter 22. We could keep reading. I know. Chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. Wow. Can it be true? Well, indeed, as Scripture says, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. And indeed, he will do it. Now, come back with me then to our main text. I know that was a big front porch, big introduction. But we're going back to our main text then, Isaiah 25, 26, 27. Now, I want to kind of give you the key to how we're going to deal with this. You say, wow, we're going to do three chapters. Man, oh man, we're going to be here for a very long time. Well, it works out okay because really chapter 25 is this summary description of what God will do And if you look at the first verse of chapter 26, you will see it says this is a song. In that day, this song will be sung. And then it goes on. And then you get to chapter 27. There's the Lord with the sword in his hand again. But in verse 2, it says, in that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. 
And I think we're going to sing again. So the way I understand this text laid out is chapter 24, we saw last week, judgment. Chapter 25, this making of all things new. And then a song and another song, kind of like a hymnal. In the presence of God, when you see the works of God, like Isaiah 26, uh, you know, the song leader would say, hey, everybody in heaven, we're going to sing Isaiah 26, and you'd know the words. I don't know if it's a big screen or a handout or what it is, and we'll sing uh, the song of chapter 26. He said, what's the music? I don't know, but you have the words. And then ditto in chapter 27. We're going to sing Isaiah 27. I see those as responses to what's going on in chapter 25. That's the way I'm going to deal with it, so we'll deal more substantively with 25, and then surf, I call it, the two songs of praise in 26, 27, all right? So you come back to the beginning of 25, and I want to pick up my reading with the last verse of chapter 24, because there are some location elements that are foundational to what we'll read in 25. So here then, this follow-up to the judgment taking place in Isaiah 24 So the closing then of that chapter, Isaiah says, Then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. Okay, those are very specific places. You can go there today, Mount Zion and Jerusalem. And his glory will be before his elders. Now Isaiah's comments, O Lord, you are my God, and I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. I pause for a moment to say, you remember in chapter 24, the term the city is used to represent all those who rebel against God. It's the city of man. It's the city that's built for, the, for, for joy and all kinds of things apart from God, and it doesn't work. It's crushed in rebellion. So it's saying here again, that city, the city of man, is no more. <clears throat> Verse 3 then, Therefore strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is put down. On this mountain, which I take to mean Mount Zion and Jerusalem from the end of chapter 24, on this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of, full of marrow, marrow, and of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe away every tear from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on this day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. 
for the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. Okay, here are the enemies of God show up again. And Moab, representing all those enemies, will be trampled down in his place as straw is trampled down in a dunghill. He will spread out his hands in the midst of it as a swimmer spreads his hands out to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pompous pride together with the skill of his hand. And the high fortifications of his walls will bring down, lay low and cast to the ground to the dust. That's complete judgment on those who, who are enemies of, of God in that day. Now, if you look at your sermon notes, you see what, how I've headed these, uh, these, these different places. So the first, the New Testament shouts of the glorious future. Now here in Isaiah, the God who judges will make all things gloriously new. And I'm reminding you here, as I have in front of you, 2 Peter 3.13 speaks of a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness, okay? I think that's what we're dealing with here. So now, in that day, I mentioned last week and again today, that phrase shows up in Isaiah. It shows up in New Testament writings that day. I think it's, in many cases, it's specific to what Bible uh, prophecy writers would describe as the day of the Lord, Minor prophets speak of this lot, major prophets. The day of the Lord, the day when God will again deal with acts, specific acts of judgment and salvation for his people, uh, the day, the ultimate day. Again, bigger topic, whole books about it. I only reference it because I think that's what's going on. And I mentioned the city already. Uh, city of man that fails. City of God um, that does not. Now, under this heading then, there are several things I want to comment on. Not every verse. The God who judges will make all things gloriously new. So I go to verse one first. This, this phrase where Isaiah says to us in the praise to God, you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. That is a description of God's work, of his plans for planet earth, for the universe. Listen to me, please, please, please. Christians, Christians, we have Great reason based on the Bible to be confident that God holds the universe in his hands and your life too, okay? All of human history is in his hands. God right now is not running around heaven in a frenzy saying, oh no, he is not. He is not in in, in a panic over anything happening in the world. Threats of war are not rocking him. He's not sending memos to the angels to say, better check on that one, didn't see that coming. Oh no, no, his plans, it says, are formed of old, faithful and sure he will do them. No purpose of yours, we'll read later, there no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose of God's can be stopped. You understand? So great confidence as we live before him. He has us in his hands, people of God. And we live in days of great fear. And may I just urge us, uh, press back against fear. I don't mean walk around in the middle of the night, you know, down dangerous parts because you're pressing back. That's dumb. Don't do that. Don't do dumb things. I'm just saying as you go about the life God has given you, don't give in to fear. Make good choices. Don't give in to fear. Press back against this. I'll make good choices as God gives me direction, but I'm not going to run and hide because I'm afraid of something. Oh, no, my God is a king. He sits on the throne. Yes, I'll wear a seatbelt. But, but, but my God is in charge. His plans are formed of old, faithful and sure. And Isaiah begins to sing about that. Oh God, you know what you're doing. Your plans will absolutely take place. 
And then he speaks again of of that judgment that we've seen in chapter 24. He does that in verse 2. And I come to verse verse 3, and I find myself thinking again, those strains of the New Testament wafting into the Old. So verse 3 says, Therefore strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. Okay, wait, what is this? What is this? So in chapter 24, ruthless nations are being pressed down, judged, ended, but here there are some, some cities of ruthless nations who will fear God. And I take that to mean, as the rest of the Bible exposes in much greater measure, that even in times when nations rebel against God, there are some in those nations who will come to faith. How interesting. We've seen that before in Isaiah. I think that's what the Great Commission is all about, is God works in this world. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. And as you do, some, even from nations that do not bow the knee before the God of the Bible, some will hear and believe the blessing of Abraham to the nations. And you find in the end of the book of Revelation that the nations will bring their glory right into the presence of God. So people from every tribe, tongue, and people and nation are described as being in the presence of God someday. The glory, the beauty of the nations brought right into the presence of God. Now, certainly, godless nations, crushed. Those who rebel against him, done. But from all of those peoples, representatives from every tribe and tongue and people and nation who will stand before his throne. The book of Revelation is very clear on these things. And so we pursue the world with hope because he will surely draw people to himself. I think that's the verse 3 is like a a hint in that direction. Now, I go on. In verses 6 through 8, first of all, before I deal with some of the the line upon line, I want you to notice the universal nature of what is being addressed here by the phrases that are used. So all the peoples show up in verse 6. All peoples, verse 7. All nations, verse 7 again. All faces, verse 8. All the earth, verse 8. So what is being spoken of here is universal in its scope. Okay? So I think that helps us with the context of what precedes in chapter uh, 25 and verse 3 as well. But what is happening here in verses 6 through 8? Tell me, tell me that you don't hear the book of Revelation here. Wow. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. Okay, so this must be an analogy. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. I understand that sometimes there are analogies and figures of speech. I also just listened to Jesus talk about, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine. I will not eat this with you until I drink it or eat it new in my Father's kingdom. And we just read Revelation 19, where it speaks of, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I take it to be a feast someday. In the presence of God, where, the, where Jesus leads it and says, hey, remember this? Remember this moment when we remembered me and my death? It's time, and we'll be there. So is there a feast? Well, I'm ready, and I I hope that's one that's literal, okay? Because this is describing the best stuff out there, right? A feast of rich uh, food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow. Those are the best cuts of everything. Wow, the best stuff. I want to go. And I bet you do too. And I know you're already going, well, where do you want to eat today? I'm getting hungry. Uh, I know. I know how these things work. Wow. I take that to mean the marriage supper of the lamb. I take it to mean a great feast and I want to go. He goes on. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering 
that is cast over all peoples. Now, some of your Bibles use the the more difficult term, Paul, P-A-L-L, the Paul. This is a a term for the death shroud, a covering, the Paul that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. What is it? What is it? Well, death, death itself, which is the next line. He will swallow up death forever. Did we not just read this in Revelation chapter 20? The, The more complete explanation of what Isaiah is talking about. That's why we started in that order. Is, is, I, I think John had, had read Isaiah. I suspect it was their Bible. All the disciples, all the ones writing New Testament, I think they'd read this book. And they're saying, as God directed them, it's that. It's what I'm writing about is that. He'll swallow up death forever. Oh my goodness, death, death, death. I'm ready for the death of death. And I think it will. There will be that day when death will die. Death will die. Death will be no more. Book of Revelation again speaks with such glory of this. All mourning, done. All crying, all tears. The Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. That's that's the Apostle John in Revelation 21 and 22. He'll wipe away tears from all faces. Oh, dear people, what, what things bring tears to your eyes? Well, death, loss, disappointment, cruelty, cruelty. It's only those other people, right? You've never said words that you wished you could pull back, have you? Probably. Words that you wish you could pull back that cause you later to say, why did, oh man, why did I say that? Other times, why did they say that? Why was this done? Why was that done? What was I thinking? Hurts that run deep. Losses that you never get over on this side of heaven. What things bring tears to your eyes? And on this day, death dies, and he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. I know some of you guys are pretty tough. You don't cry over anything. I don't believe you. I cry. Yeah, there are things that just, you can't help. You just, life, loss, death, the ways people hurt each other. Oh, Lord. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Can you imagine this day? Wow, he'll make all things new. He'll make all things new. The Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. The reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth. I think if you're talking about his specific people, the people of Israel, indeed, reproach. Uh, God's people in general are sometimes today being told that they're on the wrong side of history. Guess what? There'll be a day everybody will see we're on the right side of history. No. Reproach taken away. How do we know this will be true? How do you know this? Verse 8, last line. For the Lord has spoken. Amen. Done. That's how you know anything. If you and I did not have the Lord speaking, we would know nothing. But he has spoken and he said this, and it's like an emphasis. Do I need to put it in writing and sign it? No, I'm God. I just said it. See, the Lord has spoken. I will do this. Death will be no more. I will wipe away every tear from your eyes. All those things that you remember today, gone. 
the chain's broken. Free. Free. Wow. And so, verse 9, it will be said on that day, behold, this is, this is our God. We have waited. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is full salvation. It's the full orb, the end of it all. We're, we, we have been saved. We are being saved. We shall be saved. You understand those theological categories we've spoken of before. In this day, full salvation, final, the done, the done part. It's all finished. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Wow. The God who judges will make all things gloriously new. I find here, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, surely already you are repeating to yourself or to the person near you, hey, this is Sam Ganji speaking to Gandalf, right? You're ahead of me on this. Sorry, the return of the king. Okay. Uh, Everything sad is going to become untrue. Everything sad is going to become untrue, and it will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. Oh, the wisdom of Sam. Everything sad is becoming untrue. Gandalf, I thought you were dead. No, he's quite alive. Everything sad becomes untrue. Now, we will sing of this, chapter 26. We will surf these two, as I said to begin with. So chapter 26, I think, is a song. On that, in that day, that day, there's that phrase, that eschatological phrase, that end time phrase. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Remember, the city of man has been crushed. We have a strong city. By the way, my notes are wrong here. The fill-in should say city of man. A little cheat if you cheated at the end. You look down there at the answer. It says city of God. Wrong. That's the wrong one. City of man fails, not the city of God. City of God never, never will fail. The city of man is that which fails. And here, what we're singing about, we have a strong city. I'm thinking of Revelation 21, of course, as well. A city, a city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates. The righteous nation that keeps faith may come in. This is God saying, come, come to my place. Really, all of you, people who have trusted Christ, come, come. The gates are open. You want a city? I'll I'll give you a city. Verse 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord. Trust in Yahweh forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Some of you have memorized those. Some of you knew those as words of a song a generation or so ago. Uh, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Come on, right? You guys know this. Um, you sang it better, isn't that? Uh, in its context, it it's certainly goes beyond the peace that's ours today, which is true and real because we know Christ. In its context, it's describing a day when we're with him. What kind of perfect peace will that be? Oh, let me tell you. Your heart that has struggled, your heart that's twisted and been torn, stepped on, your heart at perfect peace. Can you imagine? It's hard, to, it's hard to imagine. We're so used to difficulty and stress and, and trouble and wondering, will it ever be done? Uh, yes, in fact, it will. Full salvation, full peace. And I say full joy. I, I go to verse 13, two other little spots as we surf this song. Oh, Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone we bring to remembrance. This, I think, certainly fits for the nation of Israel. 
other lords besides you have ruled over us indeed down through history. That's true. Um, I think we could, many of us could say this of our own selves because at times we let other things rule over us, don't we? Whether it's fear or substances or all kinds of other things, addictive behaviors, other lords besides you have ruled over us. Yes, yes, yes. But, O oh Lord, today, on this day, when we're finally with you, your name alone is the one I bring to my remembrance. All those others fade into the dust of history. Done, gone, bondage broken. Other lords besides you have ruled over us. Cruelly, may I say, but, O oh Lord, our God, yours is the name we'll remember forever. Wow, that's pretty good. Verse 19. Does the Old Testament speak of resurrection? Well, yes, I think it does. Verse 19, come on, isn't this, isn't this resurrection? And so Isaiah says in this song, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. What a picturesque way to say it. That's talking about resurrection. There are other hints in the Old Testament about resurrection. And then you get to the New Testament and you find Christ in 1 Corinthians 15 and on into the book of Revelation uh, revel, uh, resurrection being spoken of much more completely, but all those things in seed form in the Old Testament. Here, I think, very, very clear, loud, loud and clear, may I say, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. For the child of God, please hear this, death is not the end. Yes, we are separated here, and that hurts like the Dickens, it does. But for the child of God, death is not final, Death is not final. It's the beginning. Death is swallowed up by life, the Apostle Paul would say. Death, that which is mortal, is swallowed up. Amazing. Yeah. We think this is life. This, we think this is life. And as you read the New Testament, you read 2 Corinthians 5, you head into the book of Revelation, you find this as spoken of. As, as, <laughs> we see in a, now we see in a mirror, what is it? Darkly then face to face. See, this, this is the darker time, but there'll be a day we'll see more fully and all those mysteries and things, gone. All the struggles and stresses and sorrows, gone. And your heart fully and finally at peace, which is what you want. It is, I know it is. Wow. Chapter 27, <clears throat> God's people will sing the praises of God, the mighty warrior, and the faithful vine keeper. So chapter 27 begins with God as a mighty warrior. And we read in that day, in that day, there's that phrase, the Lord with his hand and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent. And he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. Now, in the Old Testament times, uh, Leviathan was a, was a mythical creature Sometimes people say, well, it's probably a dinosaur. No, probably not a dinosaur, okay? A mythical creature that was well-known in the culture of that day and used throughout the Bible as a symbol of Satan sometimes, but also, as it mentions, the sea. You know, to, to land-dwelling people, the sea was like out of control and wild and Book of Jonah and storms are blowing. And so you'd picture that as, as, as a scary place. You'd look at the sea and it's all of its fury and you and your little rowboat and say, you want to go out and fish? And you'd say, oh, no, 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 no. I'll stay in my little uh, pond and fish here. I don't want to go out there to the sea. That's out of control and stormy and dangerous and evil. And so the description here, certainly, however you understand Leviathan, 
uh, the Lord with his sword wins, slays the dragon. Now, let's see. Will that be chopping the head off? Will that be just a dagger to, how will, let's see, King, uh, you know, George and the St. George and the dragon. wonder how, does it matter? No, the dragon dies. The dragon dies and God wins. That's Christ, the mighty warrior. And of course, Revelation 19. Come on, people. The white horse, the one who sat upon it, his word, name is faithful and true. Mighty warrior. Mighty warrior. The, the lamb who was slain for those who know him and love him. And those who reject him, who refuse to bow the knee, the mighty warrior. This is presented all the way through the Bible. That's why we have said and say again, bow the knee and trust. Trust Christ as your savior. You, you want the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth to be your guard and keeper. You don't want to stand with your fist raised and have the Lord, the mighty warrior, come for you because I'm telling you now how that's going to turn out. Now, verse two, in that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, lest anyone punish it. I keep it night and day. I have no wrath. Would that I had thorns and briars to battle. I would march against them. I'd burn them up together or let them lay hold of my protection. Let them make peace with me. Let them make peace with me. In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel, I take that to mean Israel, shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. Now, because I know you have been studying Isaiah along with me, right away your pure minds said, hey, this shows up in Isaiah 5, doesn't it? You were already there ahead of me, weren't you? I knew that. Yep, Isaiah 5. A few months ago, Pastor Tyler preached a sermon on the vineyard in Isaiah 5, who is very clearly identified in verse 7, the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. That's pretty clear too, isn't it? So when I said in chapter 27, sounds like Israel. Well, in chapter five, it kind of says it. The vineyard of the house of the Lord is the house of Israel. Wow. Now in chapter five, it doesn't go so well. This is an out of control vineyard that's ready to be punished and judged. It's not going well. But in chapter 27, the keeper of the vineyard himself is keeping the vineyard. The keeper of the vineyard is taking care of this. And in fact, Jacob shall take root Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with, with fruit. Well, if you look at your notes there, I mentioned Leviathan, I mentioned the song. In contrast to the wild vineyard of Isaiah 5, this vineyard will be fruitful, fill the earth with the fruit of righteousness. And I, again, I take this to mean something about a, 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 a restored Israel. I do believe in that. Uh, someday again, God will deal with the nation of Israel in restoration and reclamation. And I also would point you, if you wonder about that, to verses 12 and 13. Um, I just, and we're going to see a lot more in the book of Revelation. But 12 and 13 say, In that day, from the river Euphrates to the brook of Egypt, the Lord will thresh out the grain, and you'll be gleaned one by one, O house of Israel. And in that day, a great trumpet, a great shofar will be blown. And those who were lost in the land of Assyria where the north part of Israel went in captivity, those who were driven out to the land of Egypt, for example, Jeremiah was taken down there against his will, they'll be, they'll be drawn back. They'll come and worship the Lord at a specific place called the Holy Mountain at, at, at Jerusalem. Sure sounds like a, a city named Jerusalem to me until I'm con, uh, convinced otherwise. I take that to mean Israel, and I take it to mean Jerusalem. And um, others take those as figurative, my sympathies. I think they're very specific places that you can go to, and I'm happy to discuss it uh, with you. 
Isaiah 25, 26, 27. Look to a day when God will make all things new, when that which is broken will become untrue, when you will be healed, your child of God, on a level that you can't fathom today, as will all, be, all those other people who drive you completely nuts if they know Christ, fully and finally healed. The things that, that hound you today and cause you sleepless nights, place to rest. Death having died. A great feast on a mountain, King Leonard says. Would you come to my feast? It's going to be great. It's going to be full of fine food and games and balloons and cakes and music and ice cream. Won't you come? Won't you come, says King Leonard. I hope that you're ready for the real feast by having trusted Christ as your Savior from sin. If you look down there under the response part, uh, I remind you here not to be afraid. And I point you again to Jesus, crucified, risen, coming again. The one who died on the cross for you, paid the penalty for all of your sin, rose again from the dead, coming again. The one who will judge the living and the dead, you'll stand before him. I'd like you to stand here as we pray together and head out. Our Father, I thank you today for this portion of Scripture. Thank you for the book of Isaiah and the privilege that is ours to work our way through it and see your might in acts of judgment and your mercy shown to those who humble themselves before you and trust you as their God and Savior. Father, I pray for those in this room, others who will listen later, that you would, you would grip each one of their hearts with the truth of your word in a way that only the Spirit of God can do. Point them to Jesus, a living Savior, risen Savior, their only hope, our only hope. So, Father, do your great work in us. Draw men and women to yourself through Jesus, I pray in his name. Amen.